Welcome to the Deviant Mind Podcast. I am your host, Dominika Best, and we at the pod, me, have added a new host, which is our host from last week, Chris. Yes, hi, Christopher Gordon here. Thank you so much for joining us. And as always, I look very forward to discussing this most craziest case of all time ever with you. Ever, because this week we are talking about the Alex Murdoch murder slash, oh my God, all the other crimes he has committed. He is currently on trial for the murder of his wife, Margaret Murdoch, and his son, Paul Murdoch. And what day are we on the trial now, Chris? This is day eight. Yeah, so there has been lots of new information coming out in in this trial. So I know there's a ton of podcasts out about this about this case, but because we are doing it right as the trial is happening, it has been interesting to see what the prosecution has for his prosecution. So I did not know that much about this case. Now I remember seeing that there was a wife and son murdered back a couple years ago and then the husband was going away for murder and then that kind of like fell off the kind of scope of true crime Mm -hmm. stuff until all the financial stuff came out (laughs) just and the double suicide suicide hit which we'll get into so this case has it all (laughs) it really does and at the end of the day what's incredible is it's As cliche as one might think it is, it's about money, power, and murder. Yeah, and lots of murder. There's so much murder in this. Yeah. It's it's incredible. It really Um, is incredible. So we were thinking of starting, not at the beginning, because as we find out, the beginning is way before any of this happened. But we are going to start with the actual murder that he is on trial for, which is the murder of Margaret, his wife, and his son, Paul. As we said before, this case has everything. An old Southern family legal dynasty, corruption, embezzlement, drug abuse, and murder. And as we said that we are currently on day eight of his jury trial and completely convoluted with Byzantine twists and turns. And we're going to try to make sense of it all. Mm-hmm. But as always, we're going to start with who the victim was. And there hasn't been that much on Margaret Murdow. She was the wife to Alex. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to start with her. Her full name was Margaret Maggie Kennedy Branstetter Murdow, and she was born on September 15, 1968, to Terry and Kennedy Branstetter in Nashville, Tennessee. However, soon her dad's job with DuPont moved the family first to Wilmington, North Carolina, and then to Unionville, Pennsylvania. The Branstetter family lived there until 1987, and for all intents and purposes, it looked like Maggie lived in a loving and supportive household. She had a sister, Marion, and ran track at Unionville High School in Pennsylvania. I did find a New York Post article that went really kind of into Maggie's life, and they spoke to some of her high school friends. There was a woman named Lisa Lineman Moore that they Mm. quoted in the article as saying, quote, we had our little cliques and we ran after boys and did a little partying and drinking. But I think her dreams were what she was taught. She was from the South and the Southern dream for a girl at the time was to finish college, maybe, but Mm -hmm. more importantly, find a husband, get married and have kids. 
that was kind of the goal in life. Terry's job at DuPont moved him to Cooper River, South Carolina, and Maggie soon enrolled in the University of South Carolina. She was a member of the Kappa Delta sorority, and she met her future husband, Alex Murdow, there. He was a year ahead of her, and a friend of hers mentioned that Alec was her first boyfriend. Mm-hmm. I'm going to quote this New York Post article again from Dana Kennedy. She said, quote, he said she'd have to move to Hampton with him. The friend said of the bleak rural town where the Murdows have ruled as both local prosecutors and civil attorneys since 1910, but where there isn't so much as a Walmart. And that was a direct quote from the New York Post article. <laughs> I thought that summed this part of yes. South Carolina pretty well. No it was Walmart. called the Lowlands. No Walmart. How could there be? Extended members of the Murdow family have come out to say how Maggie was all about her kids. She was down to earth and had a dry sense of humor. She was known to roll her eyes when one of her kids was doing something supremely stupid. But her life was always about her kids. She was a stay-at-home mom, and it looks like her boys kind of got exactly whatever they wanted. She was also kind... Yes. I'm sorry, if I may interject, something that I found out, as much as she loved her boys, they feel more love went towards Buster. Apparently, after Mm. giving birth to Paul, she suffered great postpartum depression. And and they say that there was never that strong mother-son bond between them. But with her firstborn Buster, she felt that. She was fine. But mentally, after giving birth to Paul... And there was a mom's group that and Paul were a part of. Eventually, some mothers left the group because apparently Paul was really aggressive, really sort of mean to the other children. And people in the community noticed that he had problems. His friends would notice that he would curse at home in front of his mom at a very early age. Wow. So some suspect that that is something that she may have always regretted showing more love and attention to Buster, which also explains, which I'm sure we'll get to, Paul's behavior. Yeah. Sort of reckless, privileged living and not really caring, uh, which which may go to this. And also, when you mentioned her sister, I also found out something from, uh, you know, I've been hearing so much through the testimonies and then reading a lot of accounts from people who live in that community, uh, Mm -hmm. that she was always trying to one-up. You know, uh, mm. she, it, it, you know, initially it was like Hampton County. Like, why would we go there? But then when she latched onto the notion that that la- his her husband's last name carries weight there and they actually mm-hmm. can earn a lot of money, that meant more to her than everything. I see. I see. OK, so she was definitely. Uh, but she did love her very... kids. She did. love. Yeah, her no, kids. she definitely. And I was going to say she was also supposedly the only person in the family who went to see Gloria Satterfield, the family housekeeper, yes. which we will talk later yeah. about. She fell at one of the properties and she unfortunately died from that fall. But she went to visit her like everybody else. You have your good traits and your bad traits. Yeah. But for all intents and purposes, some of the people from the Murdoch family she said that they were she was the nicest out of the entire family. I, and I see that. I can see that. 
No. no. Um, so there was speculation that Maggie and Alex were growing apart. And there are some reports stating that she had gone to see divorce attorneys in the six weeks leading up to her murder. But there are other sources that flatly state that never happened. And reporters, when this case blew up, have been searching for those divorce attorneys, but no one has been able to find them yet. Right. Now, State Senator Dick Harputlian, one of Alex Murdow's attorneys, vehemently opposes talk of divorce. He had been Paul Murdow's Maggie, Maggie's son that we were talking about that was murdered with her. Mm-hmm. He was his attorney during the deadly boat crash, because yes, there is a deadly boat crash in the story as well. Mm-hmm. And he'd seen them holding hands and being affectionate with one another for the entire 18-month period that he was He was Paul's attorney, Mm -hmm. but there's also Maggie's friends who were saying that she was living alone at their Adisto beach home in the weeks before the night of her death. And there is gossip saying that Alex was having an affair with another attorney Mm -hmm. and Maggie didn't know where to turn due to Alex's deep ties with the legal community. And then you were also saying that, I guess, in his family, it was a known thing that he, I'm about to go into his like family's storied tradition of being judges and prosecutors, mm-hmm. but his father, grandfather, and great-grandfather cheated. That was something that I yeah. think we talked about that today. Interesting but, to note that another thing which kind of dispels the divorce rumor, in addition to not being able to find any information about such a, you know, said divorce lawyer, uh, mm-hmm. she enjoyed that power. Why would she give up that name? So that's, Mm -hmm. I believe in that. Like, I don't think, you know, she loved that power. You know, they say she wasn't too friendly with a lot of the quote unquote commoners in, Mm -hmm. in the County, but she did have very close friends. And, uh, so why would you want to relinquish all that power? She knew the weight of, of the family. And another thing from what I understand was that she was a very, very possessive in their relationship over Alex when, for instance, she'd find out he got a new assistant or a new receptionist. She was very worried that they were going to try and hook up. So apparently that stems from, and we'll get into this, that the Murdows uh, starts with the great-grandfather. You know, the great-grandfather, the grandfather, the father to Alex were all counselors, barristers for the longest time, right? And... Mm -hmm. It's it's common knowledge that every one of them had mistresses, every one of them. And to be the wife of one of these, uh, you know, highfalutin, uh, you know, legal gods, right, according to South Carolina, Mm -hmm. they get all these cases, they do well. Uh, They kind of kept their mouth shut. Look the other way. Go ahead. Have your mistresses. And apparently, this was uh, that crazy story where uh, his grandfather, Alex uh, Murdo's grandfather, was having an affair, and the wife got very upset and was threatening to leave. And not too long after this argument and this fight they have, there's this obituary for her in the paper. And she's very well, she was alive. She wasn't dead. And... Mm -hmm. Uh, some say that that was a message like, look, keep keep bothering me about uh, my affair and my mistress. You're kind, you're dead to me. Like we have nothing right. to do with one another right now. Right. Exactly. Also shows so- the power you can flex and having that printed up in the media like a fake obituary was printed. 
Yeah, no, exactly. It does show the power. And that was that power started in 1910. Yeah. And this is Alex's great grandfather, Randolph Murdow Sr., started the family law firm in Hampton County. And he later became the local prosecutor. And he also never gave up his business. So he was both the local prosecutor and had a family law firm. And then his son was elected to the same position in 1940. His name was Randolph Murdow II. And then, of course, Randolph Murdow III, who was Alex's dad, was the solicitor at the firm until 2005. Mm -hmm. Duffy Stone, a Murdow ally, took over as the local prosecutor after that. Mm -hmm. So they essentially had the power of the courts in this section of South Carolina from 1910 to 2005. Yeah, That, I think, gives you a lot of clout, which also we're going to go into some earlier cases because this case really started in 2015 with this family. And, you know, it shows what power and money can do for you as far as, you know, keeping you out of trouble and keeping you really insulated until everything goes batshit crazy. And then there's no way you can be protected again anymore um, because you've just gone way past a small murder. Yeah. Um, So, and kind of what we're talking about is by all accounts, this family ran the town and the family member said, and he didn't want to go on record with the New York post article said, quote, they owned the police. They could always do whatever they wanted. There was no fear of consequences or repercussions to anything they did. If I owned the police in my town, I might do more myself. Mm -hmm. This was a uh, family member because it looks like the Murdoch family had cousins and second cousins and distant cousins because they all were from the same community going Mm -hmm. all the way back Mm -hmm. to um, like, you know, more than 100 years. So, so that's a little background on Margaret and this family. So what exactly happened on the night of June 7th, 2021, which is where um, these murders took place? So some accounts claim that Maggie was lured to Moselle, and Moselle is the family's 1,700-acre hunting property in Iselton, South Carolina. Hmm. It was an hour and 15 minute drive from Maggie's Adisto Beach home, which is where people were saying she was staying at in the months before June 7th. Mm-hmm. Her husband, Alex, had said that his father, Randolph Murdoch III, was dying and he wanted Maggie to visit him and his mother, who was suffering from dementia, at their Varnville home. Now, so the sources who would not go on record claimed that Maggie expressed hesitancy in meeting her estranged husband, but decided it was the right thing to do. Can I interject here? Yes. Uh, what's, what's interesting to know is when Alex initially found out that his father was terminal, mm-hmm. this is from yesterday's ceremony, his then CFO, one of his CFOs that he knew known since school, right? And he said, mm-hmm. come aboard. She'd been working there 25 plus years. Uh, But there were some weird things showing up in their financial papers and whatnot. And they were Mm -hmm. having a conversation and it got a little heated and he was kind of weird about it. The phone rings, you know, your father's in terminal. We had to move him and he's Mm -hmm. distraught. The conversation ends. She can't really address this issue right now. Right. Because he's right. He's grieving. So. Hours later, when she thought that he would be there 
to be with his dad. You find out something like this. You, you go to your dad. He was still yeah. in the office. He calls her in her office to ask, uh, do we have any funds available for, for the boat trial? And she was kind of blown away that instead of showing any compassion for his father, who's terminally, you know, on his way out, He's staying yeah. there trying to figure out how can how can I get more money now? This boat case is gonna the trial is gonna cost so much money. So that's interesting right. to know. That is definitely interesting to know. And we will go in, go into the boat case afterwards because I said we have tons sure. of crimes to tell you about after this initial one. So, what um, was but that is actually phone? really fascinating. So her phone's so, on the so. So we are going to actually go through her phone records because that was one of the things that ha- came up, I think, in the second or third day of this trial, because they were able to get the data from Paul's phone, Maggie's phone and Alex's cell phones. And it was I mean, it's a major part of the prosecution's case right now. So we are going to talk about they, they actually did say in the trial that there was a text from Maggie earlier in the day saying that Alex wants me to come home, which is part of this idea that he lured her back to Moselle. Right. And this testimony that I'm about to read out to you was given by Lieutenant Britt Dove of the South Carolina Law Enforcement Division. And their kind of uh, shortened version is SLED. So whenever we mention SLED, that is the South Carolina Law Enforcement Division. Mm-hmm. And they were the ones that were able to get the extensive records of the phones. So we're going to go through what Maggie's phone essentially recorded within the like 45 minutes of her death, including her death, which again is I was reading through this and mm-hmm. it occurred to me that whenever you read true crime, when you look at the evidence that the prosecution has, and uh-huh. this happened with our last case with Brian uh, Koberger, was that now we have all this data that's constantly tracking us right. from our cell phones that for Brian, they were able to find out exactly where he went right. in those 48 hours. And here we actually have like, I mean, for me, reading it out is was chilling because at the point where the prosecution thinks she has been shot, yeah. the phone keeps moving. So we're seeing yeah. through kind of this, almost like a MacGuffin of the phone, we're seeing what the killer did after she was dead, which I don't know, to me was very, very eerie. And so this came out in trial, right. um, I believe on the second day. So here we go. So Maggie arrived at Mazelle at 18.15 p.m. On the, on the night of her murder. At 8.17 p.m., her phone is unplugged, which I'm assuming it's unplugged from the charging in the car. Right. She then takes 38 steps. At 8.31, she takes 40 more steps. And at 8.31, and I think 20 seconds, mm-hmm. she texts John Marvin, who is a relative, to a group text saying, I plan to go visit dad tomorrow afternoon. Is anyone planning to go? Mm-hmm. Question mark. At 8.31 and 40 seconds, there is the read on Maggie's phone. At 8.31, she receives a text, but she doesn't read it until later. At 8.49, display on, could be notification or someone picking up the phone. 8.49.26, device unlocked. 8.49.27, two text messages on group chat read on her phone. 8.49.28, device locks until the next day. Prosecution says she dies at 8.50. So 
She got two text messages on a group chat that were read in 850. She gets shot in the head for what the prosecution says. The 853, the display turns back on again. 853, 55, 59 steps on Mm -hmm. Maggie's phone. 854, orientation on phone changes. 85430, Mm -hmm. phone is picked up. The camera activates for one second, but phone does not unlock because the face ID is not successful. 854.32, change to landscape. The phone is put down. 9 o'clock, distance traveled and steps. 9.06, phone is lifted. 9.06, this is where all of the calls that Alex says he made start coming in. Missed call from Alex. 9.06, stopped recording the portrait mode. 9.06.40, missed call from Alex. 9.07, display off and on. 908, incoming text message from Alex. Going to check on M. Be right back. It's unread. The screen comes back on again at 931. The reason unknown. 934, text message from Rogan, which we're going to hear about him. He Mm -hmm. was a friend of Paul's. Tell Paul to call me. It's unread. 945, missed call from Alex. 1003, missed call from Alex. And then a text message from Alex to Maggie. Call Mm -hmm. me, babe unread maggie's phone was discovered on a roadside about a quarter mile from the crime scene paul's phone however was found on his back where he lay so the killer actually placed his cell phone on and he had been this is going to be a big thing that we're going to talk about in a second was he had been doing snapchat videos right before he was shot I found the reason why I included all of those spots in the phone cell data is because I, for the first time when reading about true crime, you're reading about the killer holding somebody's phone and what does he do with it? And he can't open it. And then all of a sudden, you know, if it is Alex, because again, he's uh, innocent until proven guilty, you know, him holding two phones and texting and like, you know, seeing what else is on there because- what was interesting is Alex's phone was completely right. wiped of all cell phone data. I mean, for that now night. the defense, defense so, can always, you know, as it's become the trend, right, in this day of technology, for them to say, well, the pings, that could be from that tower. It's the general area, as we're seeing in the Idaho 4 case. Like, yeah, you pinged, but that could mm-hmm. be like the the radius could be a lot larger than that. So if, I mean, if I'm Alex's defense, I'm going to try and get as much of this dismissed because we can't actually pinpoint. But same time, this is pretty damning because it's her phone and you can see all the action from her phone, not the pings. Exactly. Like the, it's actual right. phone data. Now, what the what I found interesting is so I found one report saying that Alex's cell phone data was completely wiped. But then the defense's strategy was that they used Alex's step profiles to show that his step profile didn't match up to the step profiles that were on um, mm-hmm. Maggie's phone saying that he couldn't have been holding the phones at the same time because the steps didn't match. So this was kind of, that was the back and forth testimony that was going on Mm -hmm. in the trial. It's like, well, he couldn't have been holding both phones because at exactly the same time, the steps don't match. But what I find interesting is, does your phone keep the step data, but not the messages and calling out and ping data? So I was a little, I didn't get very far with that, but I I didn't quite see how that could be a 
defense strategy if he wiped his phone, which is for all intents and purposes, what I found like in every news article was that I mean, he had wiped his phone uh, for come that on. night. There's a reason why you don't just do that. You don't just try to delete right, everything. Exactly. Like, why would you wipe your phone? Like exactly. Like, well, especially because... Well, and I'm about to go into his, I found the notice of alibi defense from his lawyers. And so his alibi is very based on his cell yes. phone records. Maybe that's the reason why he wiped it is because they don't exist the way he said. But anyway, we will get to that. Murdow called 911 around 10.07, reporting that he found the bodies of his wife, Maggie and son, Paul. He was supposedly crying on the call. Although, didn't you say that you listened to that 911 call and he wasn't crying when he was waiting yes. for the 911 operator to pick up the phone? But then when they finally picked up the phone, yeah, he started Yeah, so crying? there's something interesting which I never knew and understood about. When you call 911, as soon as you start ringing them, they're recording. Uh, so there have been numerous instances where you hear someone crying and then it's, hello, 911, can I take your call? And they're still sobbing or breathing heavy, and then they're on the phone. Mm -hmm. He calls 911, and it's silent until someone picks up, and then he's right in like gangbusters with the crying. So it's as though he's like, yeah. let me just make this call. Yeah. And, uh, oh, they picked up. Oh, my God. I don't know what happened. Where they're saying, right. you know, the, the, the prosecution's <laughs> like, listen, you know, if you call 911, you're kind of like heavy breathing, you, you know, crying. Yeah. You just waited for them to pick up. Wow. And then he started with his thing. Uh, wow. Well, also at the um, time of arrest, they show up. They're just, so, we, they've shown uh, his interactions with the cops in the car, just sort of talking. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, we had that cliche. Oh, from his, from, from, from the body Correct, cam the body footage. Cam. Is there body cam footage? And we, ha and uh, we have the, yes. uh, or the dash cam rather. You have, you have the, dash the, cam. uh, that that old cliche with the crying yet no tears uh when they first mm -hmm. show up and everything's outside of the cop car he's talking to the first responders and he recognizes a cop and he's kind of like my wife and i don't know how we got there hey how you doing and that's recorded someone's just passing by and he breaks concentration wow. from discussing this murder to say hey what's up to one of the cops walking by and it's recorded that's so wow. that's kind of weird. That says something. Yeah, exactly. So in the 911 phone call, he does say that he found his wife and his son in the dog kennels. Maggie was found face down after being shot five times with a rifle. Ballistics expert Kenneth Kinsey suggested three of the shots hit her when mm -hmm. she was standing. Two of the shots were fatal. One was to her left breast and one through the back of her head. And either of those were a kill shot. Paul was also found face down. He was shot twice with mm -hmm. a shotgun and not the rifle that was used on his mom. And again, the ballistics expert Kinsey noted that Paul was hit in the chest from several feet away. The second round hit him in the neck and shoulder and killed him instantly, pretty much taking out his yeah. head. And brain. So where did Alex claim he was during this whole time? And why did the police focus on him and arrest him? And what about Paul? Why was he killed? And remember, we're going to talk about that boating accident, which comes up the moment that the police come and speak to Alex. Paul was actually going to be on trial for manslaughter from that boating yes. accident. But let's talk about Alex's 
alibi defense first. So Richard Alexander Alex Murdo, his lawyer, filed a notice of alibi defense on behalf of his client, stating that he was not present at the time, place, and date of the murders that they happened. That the notice claims that he was on the Moselle property before 8.30 p.m., and he left a few minutes after 9 p.m., which I was like reading that, and I said, well, but the prosecution thinks that she was murdered at Mm -hmm. 8.50, so this this actual alibi defense doesn't even make sense. But so he to visit his mother in Vanville, right. he says that Maggie and Paul were alive the last time he saw them before leaving for his mother's. During his drive to Vanville, he said he called his son Buster, his brother John Marvin, and his sister-in-law Liz, who were all Murdows. He also called Chris Wilson and C.B. Rowe. Murdow arrived at his mother's house at approximately mm-hmm. 9.20. He says he visited his mother, Elizabeth Libby Murdow, and nurse's aide, Michelle Shelley Smith. He stayed with his mother until 9.45 and then returned to Moselle. And he arrived around 10 p.m. And he said at that time he spoke to Chris Wilson via cell phone. And then he says he found the bodies at 10.05. So that is the story that his lawyer put in for the court. Now, how convenient that he had his alibi, right, is visiting Mm-hmm. His mom, who is suffering from dementia, borderline Alzheimer's. The cops can't question her. The right. cops can't. She doesn't remember if no. she, he was there or not, or what day or what time. Right. And then the nurse's aide, she's probably helping this woman. She so she's not going to be checking the time yeah. either. Um, and she's also an employee of his, and probably, you know, especially if they have so much power in this yeah. town would probably be afraid of saying, uh, and she doesn't, strangely enough, she doesn't come into this at all. Like she does not make a statement. There is no paperwork saying, yeah, he was there at that time, which I find interesting. And he, um, he, the cops took him into the car uh, after he found his wife and he told them the same story. And this is something that I found um, in Buzzfeed news. He said that he sat with the officer's, for three hours after finding his wife's and son's bodies. And he repeated the story that he then originally told them, uh, which is totally different from the alibi defense that I just read out Mm -hmm. to you. And then he told the same story three days later when they came to interrogate him on June 10th, 2022. I'm sorry, 2021. So he said that he'd been napping by himself after dinner that night. He woke up and found himself alone He called his wife to tell her he was visiting his mother. She never Mm -hmm. picked up the phone. And then he went to visit his mother. He came home and found his uh, family dead. So he claimed he was napping, woke up, nobody was around, called his wife. She didn't pick up. He left for his mom. He came back and and everybody was dead. So that story is completely different than the story he tells in the alibi defense because he says that he saw his wife and kid alive before right. he left but in the story he told that night and the story he said on june 10th 2021 was completely different because he said he was he was napping now it also came out and this came out just now in the court mm-hmm. trial was that uh because i wondered why he was interrogated three days later and it was because of this snapchat right. video um so Police interviewed Paul's friend, Roger Gibson, and Roger Gibson had a puppy that they were keeping at the kennels, and he was very concerned about that puppy. So he called Paul that night, and Paul was trying to make a Snapchat video of the puppy to show that it was Mm -hmm. okay. 
Now, he had also, and I guess there was poor reception yeah. there. So he had also made a phone call to Paul about that dog minutes before his death. And Roger Gibson I, has testified that he was sure he'd heard Alex in the background yeah. talking, which completely takes out both of his alibis and stories about yeah. where he was that night. And then there was a Snapchat video where they show the video and they've showed that it's in court um, numerous trees. times. And I also, with the, well, with the dog, oh, with the, right, with yes, the yes. brown Labrador. Yep. He's and there. you can hear three people in the background yeah. talking and they've gotten witnesses on the stand to be like, that is Alex's yeah. voice. That is yeah. Alex's voice. He was there like literally two minutes yeah. before the murders happened. In the kennels. So, in the kennels. Um, in the kennels. Exactly. So he was there. So when he was interrogated these three days later on June 10th, he was brought in again because they had talked to Roger Gibson in between when they right. found the bodies and this and said, okay, this guy's lying. He again gave this story about this nap, but then he also said, oh, well, I played with my phone. I watched some TV. So he embellished right. a little bit. And then he claimed this time that he didn't see Maggie or Paul. And, and then of course the Snapchat essentially shows that he is lying. In the trial, it was again where the Lieutenant Britt Dove testified that Alex's call log for much of that night of the murder had been manually deleted mm -hmm. and that the prosecutors contend that the alleged motive for his need to kill his wife and son was to distract from his financial crimes yeah. and to get sympathy. Yeah. So yeah. during that night, he finds his wife and his son like gruesomely mm -hmm. murdered. He immediately tried to di divert attention. Like when he was speaking to the cops, the first responders and the investigators and the 911 operator, that there were people seeking revenge yep. against his family for the boat crash his son had caused, killing Mallory Beach yep. 19 in February of 2019. So he was like, people are after us. It was right. probably them, you know, like they're coming after us. And so a little quick story about what exactly this boat crash was paul murdow the the boy who was killed with his mother he was driving this boat and he was charged with manslaughter because he was drunk like he had blown a 0.24 yeah. i actually found an article where they were able to get cctv footage of pretty much the entire night and it was just drinking drinking on drinking the, yeah. and he's like wobbling the the they bar, get into a fight completely yeah, can't walk on the dock he can't, yeah, totally drunk. The kids that were on the boat with him said that they yeah. went, didn't want him driving. Yeah. They got into a fight and he like drove them straight into Archer's Creek Bridge. Mallory was ejected from the boat and was found dead two days later. A month after the crash, Mallory's family filled a wrongful death suit against the Murdoch family on April 18th, 2019, mm -hmm. which was the, also the date of Mallory's 20th birthday. Paul Murdoch was charged with three felony counts of boating under the influence, causing the death of Mallory Beach and seriously injuring yes. two other passengers. Paul pleaded not guilty and was out on bond awaiting trial. But of course, that trial never happened never happen. because he was murdered on June 7th, 2021. Also interesting to know, Alex Murdo was yeah. also involved in, in the convictions because of it being his boat. Like he was, because he was responsible. Ah. So what, you know, his son and him would have yeah, been. Yeah, so he was yeah. the responsible adult. And, uh, you know, the body cam mm -hmm. footage after this terrible event, there's... The boyfriend of Maggie is Maggie, right? Was the victim's name? She, uh, 
Yeah. He sees yeah, Paul and he's like, get me away from him. I don't want to see this guy. Get me away from him. Uh, oh, you I'm mean the boyfriend of Mallory correct. Beach? The so 19 year old who has like died. Yes. Her name was Mallory and Beach. I guess Paul comes out and he's like, get me away from him. Like, I cannot see this guy. I mean, just so, you know, and I think, again, it's this mentality, you know, I'm a Murdoch. I, I, I can get away with this. I'm a Murdoch. Like, there, I can get away with this. It's my daddy's boat. Yeah. I'm privileged. Exactly. We'll figure this out. Well, and actually, one of the um, one of the reasons why Mallory Beach's parents brought a suit against them is that at the hospital, Alex was going from room to room to each one of the survivors of the boat crash being like, you're not going to tell what happened. You're not yes. going to say who was driving the boat. Like he was already trying to make sure that you his son was not implicated everyone. in that, which of and, course backfired um, on him. Yeah, uh, I, there's also a little tidbit. There was a, there's an attorney out there who claims that he heard a story and this all went down. Buster had contacted an attorney that his parents knew, reached out to this, a lawyer that's a friend of the family's, and uh, he, he says, quote, my counselor, my boy's in trouble, meaning his brother is in trouble. The lawyer said, don't worry, yeah. I'm going to take care of it. Uh, we'll prolong the trouble, blah, blah, blah. And... Uh, they speak again. He says, I took care of that thing for you. Like, he'll be fine. And then Foster said, mm. uh, well, how much, how much do we owe you? And he said, don't worry about it. No charge. To which Buster replied, if you ever need to kill a man, bring him to Hampton County. Damn. His attorney, he's Damn, saying, look at that. Yeah, thank you so much for helping me out. And if you ever are in the same situation, don't worry about it. <laughs> Just come here yeah. and we'll fix you right yeah. up because we got so we got everybody in our pockets. Paul. So um, you have to understand that during this whole boating event, more than I feel more than his parents, Buster was really the one that was just like, we got to get him off. Yeah. Was, that was trying yeah. to. Yeah, we got to get him off. That's that's fascinating. So here's the thing. You know, Alex throwing out the fact that yeah. Paul was receiving death threats because of this lawsuit as his impending trial. Paul's friend, Roger Gibson, said that Paul had not gotten any serious threats and he didn't even seem very concerned about it. Yeah. So, again, it was just throwing something else like, hey, it's not me. It's this thing yeah. that's happening. Yeah. It's all about the boat crash and not me and all of my uh, malfeasance. So on June 17th, 2021, Alex Murdow's brothers, Randy Murdow the fourth and John Marvin Murdow were on good morning America saying Alex was absolutely not responsible for the murders. Now the South Carolina law enforcement division sled reopened an older investigation on June 22nd, 2021 because of information they gathered about Maggie's and Paul's murders Something in that house, which I could not find what it was, was that they opened up the investigation to the death of Stephen Smith, 19, who'd been found yep. dead in the middle of the road in Hampton County, South Carolina. And his murder, I believed, happened in 2015. Uh, I, I don't I seem to have written down here. the date. Yeah. Do you have the date? Uh, Stephen Smith, uh, I believe, wait, 2009, to the, I think it's 2015. Yeah, 
2015. So he was found in the middle of the road. He'd been openly gay and had suffered blunt force trauma to his head. And his death was ruled to be a hit and run. But his mom was like, I, I'm not believing any of this. And she actually went on a lot of, I think uh, she, she talked to several reporters saying, and this is the mom who said this, was that there were boys from very well-known families that were in a truck after a game. Her son ran out of gas in the middle of the road. And supposedly she believes they followed him. One of those boys, she claimed he had told his twin sister that he had had a relationship with him in high school. I'm having a very prominent relationship that would blow everyone's minds if they find out. And in the car... Yes, so yes. he told this to his and twin in his sister. Car, they mm-hmm. found his wallet and his phone, which is really interesting. Yes. So she thinks that he was well, she personally thought that he was mm-hmm. run down on the road by a truck full of these yeah. boys from well-to-do families with one of them he was or the boy he was having a relationship with. She demanded answers, but she right. did not have the clout that the Murdoch family did. Now, there was also police tips that came in regarding Stephen Smith that pointed to yeah. the Murdoch family as well. But nothing ever happened because, again, this was in Hampton County and they yes. have been the prosecutors and judges and for I, I, 100 uh, years. As um, I found out that I was telling you, South Carolina is one of the few states that does not recognize any anti-hate, uh, uh, any hate crimes, uh, hate crimes. You get crazy and you murder you can't be you can't use that as well there's no insanity plea in south carolina unfortunately it's you know very unfortunate that they do not have yeah. any um hate crime statutes and then also well at least they can't get off with the insanity but it sounds it sounds very suspect and they did right open the case but there was never anything it didn't look like it went anywhere because i i they've kind of kept quiet from all the different uh news articles i read they mentioned that they opened it there was lots of rumors right they never say what they found to make it open it again which i found very interesting i'm kind of wondering if that's going to come out on trial too um they had a bunch of highway patrol officers and forensic people and across the board, they unanimous, uh, unanimously agreed that that's not how a hit and run looks like. That essentially, uh, here's the biggest clincher, no matter who hit, gets hit by a car. And it happened, a friend of mine in grade school was hit by a car. You're knocked out of your shoes. He had his shoes on. You, you clear mm, get, it doesn't matter like what, oh, you clear get knocked out of your shoes. He had his shoes on and there was no... Uh, debris from a car. Like usually you get like glass from the windshield, uh, the lights or something. And it was very clean. Another thing is when mm-hmm. he was apparently, uh, the car broke down, he was on his way to go get gas, like canisters of gas, which is directly south from where he was. Yeah. And they kept saying he was crossing the street mm-hmm. to go visit, to go towards his pop's house, which was across that road where he was found. Mm-hmm. So if he's going south, he right. would never have crossed. So it doesn't make sense he would have gotten hit by a car. Right. So it doesn't make sense. So I know your theory is that they actually like got out of the car, took him out of the car because he had a deep gash. He died from blunt force trauma Correct. and he had a deep gash in his head. So there were some articles that I read that 
they think that he got clipped by the side mirror of a big truck, but then also intentionally, but then also it could be maybe he got hit with something yeah. that caused the blunt force trauma. So in, in any case, Sled was looking into this family now. It was almost kind of like the the doors had been opened. They had managed to skate. And now it's yeah. like, okay, this is too big that we we have to investigate you. Um, and so this is where yeah. the case goes a little nutty. Um, so on, se- on September 3rd, 2021, Alex Murda was forced to resign by the other partners in his family's law firm, PMPED, since they uncovered him embezzling millions of dollars from client funds. So that's September 3rd. September 4th, 2021, a 911 call came in from Alex Murdow. He claimed on the call he'd been shot while on the side of the road in Hampton County. He was changing a tire. This was his story. He was changing a tire and was ambushed by a drive-by shooting and shot in the head. He was then treated at a hospital for a superficial gunshot wound. So he gets out of the hospital with his superficial gunshot wound on September 5th, 2021. Alex Murdow checked into rehab, saying he was struggling with a 20-year opioid addiction and that he'd resigned from his law firm because of his yeah. opioid addiction. Not that he was embezzling millions of dollars from client funds. Yes. And then, and I don't, I didn't quite understand why he confessed to this. I originally thought that maybe... Uh, Curtis Edward Smith confessed and then they got him in rehab. But it seems that Alex Murdo on September 14th, 2021, confessed to the police that he had hired Curtis Edward Smith, 61, a former Mm -hmm. law client of his, a distant cousin and Mm -hmm. supposedly his opioid dealer Mm -hmm. to shoot him in the head. So his son Buster could collect $10 million in insurance money. Because there was a suicide clause in his insurance saying that he would get nothing if he died by suicide. Curtis was arrested on September 15th, I believe, for assisted suicide, aggravated assault, battery, and insurance fraud. And then Curtis Smith admitted that he was, yes, at the scene, and he got rid of the Uh, gun. Alex apparently said, let's meet, (laughs) meets up with him, says, look, I want you to do this, take this gun. And he said, what are you talking about? And he didn't want anything to do with it. You know, Alex gets it back. Maybe he's thinking like, how can I just do this myself? There's got to be a way. Uh, the other thing is, if you listen to that 911 call, it's like, I, I've i been shot in the head. It's, it's, it's not like discombobulated. Uh, and if I got to jump forward to the 911 call with the murders. Yeah. The cops show up and uh, he's clean. And that was brought up during maybe day two or day three of the trial. The cop, uh, not the, the cops show up, mm-hmm. uh, his white shirt. But didn't they find, but didn't they find microscopic blood splatter on his shirt? Wasn't that part that of one of the, of the evidence, evidence in the case but that then came they out? were saying at the, t- just at the time upon initial looking, he had no blood on his hands. He, yeah, and it was after him claiming, I checked for their pulse. I turned my, I turned my son's body around mm. on his back. But no blood. No blood on I his see. legs. If there were some splatter, uh, I don't know. But there's also supposed to be kickback. You know, like if you shoot with the shotgun, it, you know, right. wherever you shoot, it, it comes right back. 
Yeah. Did he, so did he change his clothes? Did he get rid of the gun residue from his hands? You know, uh, well, because he had time. Because here's the thing: if we assume his alibi is complete bullshit, he killed his family at eight fifty. He oh, didn't call sure. in until ten oh seven. I mean, he could have taken a shower, like I mean, blow dried his hair. Like he, yeah. he had an hour um, that he could have totally cleaned himself up. But I still don't understand why he confessed. Like, and I looked through. Um, a bunch of news articles, but nobody really just, he was the one that called the police yeah. and say, Hey, I did this, so, which like, I just, well, again, I don't, is, I don't know why. Again, you go back to the murders it sense when he's, uh, he's with the cops, right? In the car. And there's audio of him saying, did you find out anything? Are they really gone? Which is a weird, he said, right. he said he checked their pulse. Yeah. Like, and then, you know, half an hour, an hour later, he wants confirmation that they're actually dead, which I find a little weird. Um, yeah. And the 911, yeah, he admits yeah. to trying his own, uh, ending his own life. It's a sympathy trip. Like, I don't want to be here. Everything, I mean, if you look. Yeah. Which I guess, I mean, here's the thing. It's interesting that you said that there is no insanity plea because the way that he tried to essentially talk away his fake suicide slash hitman scenario where he got shot in the head he said that he couldn't stop abusing oxy he could not right. stop abusing oxycodone and that he had massive depression and that he was just trying Look, to do right by his family if you were self-medicating for 20 um, years right which is what they're saying uh, so far during all these testimonies mm -hmm. I, I have yet to hear anything but at the same time i don't know if they're asking really but what was his mental state? What did he seem like? Did he appear that he was on opioids? I would love for the prosecutors to also try and prove that that's not true, that that's another, it's all, it's. Right. Exactly. Because he's, I mean, he's a lawyer. Like, wouldn't his, any of his partners at his law firm right. being like, wow, this guy right. can't do his job? Because he's like, them. He's I having mean, conversations. How can he get um, more money for this boating accident? We got to transfer. And yeah. then what's really nuts to me is just how it um it just he 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 creates pity parties to prolong things don't think about the fraud think about me my dad just died now my wife and son just died my mom has right. damage. i almost got killed but no i didn't right. because i i really want to die you know it's kind of like this weird <laughs> Because no, I didn't because that wasn't. Yeah, uh, because I orchestrated that whole thing. Um, and then also, and we're about to go into his financial crimes. Where did all that money go? Which would make sense that he was addicted to oxycodone because as a lawyer, right. I'm assuming he's making bank, right? right? He has family money because right. this is generational wealth per South Carolina. But then he's stolen right. close to $8 million yeah. from his law firm. And then so this is um, when he uh, when he confessed to the police about this, they arrested him, but then released him on mm -hmm. bond to go back into rehab. And then SLED opened up an investigation into his financial crimes. And that's when they found out about the financial crime that he perpetrated against Gloria yeah. Satterfield's family. So on um, and 
so they announced that they were reopening her case on September 15th, yeah. 2021. And she is was the housekeeper we talked about earlier with Maggie, that Maggie had gone to see her in the hospital. So she died on February 2nd, 2018 from a mysterious trip and fall yeah. at the Murdow home. She'd been their housekeeper for over 20 years and she was found at the bottom of the front stairs mm-hmm. and she never resumed consciousness. Mm-hmm. So she died on February 26th. So... What he did was he said, hey, Satterfield family, you should sue my insurers for Mm -hmm. a wrongful death settlement. And so that's exactly what they did. And he was actually arrested. This was a very dramatic arrest on Mm -hmm. October 14th, 2021 by the police for exactly this thing, that he stole the funds that his insurers paid out to him because they settled on the wrongful death settlement. They paid out close to $2 million and he pocketed the money. And so the the Satterfield family filed suit against Mr. Murdoch for his money. And so they arrested him again, right after he went out of rehab for that. And he was charged with 30 counts of fraud over the, the Satterfield wrongful death settlement on November 19th, 2021. So now SLED was like, hey, guess what? We're going to exhume Gloria Satterfield's body on June 3rd, 2022. So I'm kind of wondering, again, because we're only on day seven, are they going to bring up Gloria Satterfield's case? And is this, was she actually pushed down the stairs? Is there any way to know? Why would they have exhumed her body? What were they looking for? And again, there's been silence Mm. on her case after this. Like there's not been very many articles that I could find about it. Have you heard anything about why they wanted to exhume her body? Because he was already arrested for stealing. I think what they're going to try and figure out is, uh, Forensically, I think they need to see if they need to recheck and examine her to see if what was reported matches the wounds. You know, if the dog, like, how did the dogs trip her? If mm-hmm. she lands this way, does that make sense? I heard a crazy rumor. Right, right. Or how could she have fallen down the, the stairs? What's the rumor? Uh, that's what Paul I was thinking. Buster. I was thinking Paul, Buster. like if he had such violent tendencies uh, yeah. at the beginning of his life, then like, could he have, and he already, would he? No. So, cause he no. hadn't killed and then the, the girl yet. The interesting thing um, is if you listen to the call but, from Margaret, she's kind of like, not blase, mm-hmm. but it's very calm. And if this woman has been in, in your house and mm-hmm. in your family for so long, if someone that close that's watched the kids, she takes care of the house, dies that way, I don't think you I don't think you're just kinda like our housekeeper's lying face down on the stairs. You know, with Margaret, with Gloria, with Paul, were they aware of all this you know, the money taking? That's the other thing that calls into question is like Well, here's the thing. So this was, I think I talked about this podcast in an earlier episode, but there was a podcast called Red Collar and the main premise, and it's still up. It's not, they're not doing new episodes anymore, but it was talking about white collar criminals who, when they get caught, they kill. And it was this very specific type of pathology that they really are more white collar criminals. However, when they are then confronted 
by the fraud by someone close to them, like a wife or a yeah. girlfriend or a business yeah. partner, they lose it and they kill them because they want to keep the right. the fraud hidden. So it's not, I'm not killing you to get my jollies off. I'm killing you to yes. keep my secret of fraud. And she had yeah. a ton of cases. And I think there was like, I don't I Anyway, look up other, Red Collar. So it, it was a very fascinating I would like podcast. also to put but, out, uh, um, there are t- uh, two other cases which really stuck out to me of the fraud, which is really disturbing. In addition to mm-hmm. uh, the Gloria issue, we had in mm-hmm. August 2009, there was a horrible car wreck, which left one of the gentlemen in the car. He's a deaf man, left him quadriplegic, right? Mm-hmm. So his firm Ooh. sued... Yeah. The tire makers and they won and mm-hmm. uh, alex mm-hmm. Merdo took all the settlement money the survivor got nothing wow for a quadriplegic nothing. man then, the survivor got uh, nothing this That's, woman uh, named elena oh 2009 she's in a vicious car accident with her mom and her brother and she's the only one who lives same thing they go after the tire makers they figure out something's defective they win a they win a really nice settlement and uh, Alex limited her funds. He kind of paid her out in increments and it never fully totaled mm-hmm. uh, the sentiment money. So those are also two, two of the, I, I think, you know, oh those goodness. three uh, frauds taking money from these people, I, th- those to me were the worst examples. Like these people's lives were either taken yeah. or forever changed. And, um, And yet he was like, yeah, I got to use that money because I don't got enough. So I'm going to take it for you. And actually one of his associates, Russell Lafitte, which is a former Palmetto State Bank CEO, was convicted of the financial fraud charges on November 22nd, 2022 um, for a lot of these. Because I think he needed to wash that money somewhere like he needed to put, you know, so he, I, I believe I read somewhere that he used him, but he was convicted so of the financial question, fraud charges. Where did all this money go? I feel a bulk of it went to placate his wife who really loved that status, loved that power, loved being rich. And I think mm-hmm. he took a lot of that and they got us, you know, a vacation home. They're going to the Bahamas. Right. They owned yeah. an island, uh, supposedly, but there, but there was like an island that where that's where the kids were yeah. going for the um, when they got killed. They were going yes. to Murdoch Island, which had been in the cause here's the thing. This is yes. generational wealth. So I'm kind of like if you're a lawyer and you have generational wealth. Why are you because having I to steal like ten million dollars? Like more. I don't you like need, you just you got to have more. You play the loopholes. Yeah. But in the process, you know, you're screwing your overhead. You're screwing the other people that are waiting for, uh, you know, those those partners made a, a ton of money. But it's interesting because you, you know it only takes one yeah. to to mess everything up, you know. But he didn't think he could mess everything up. Yeah, exactly. You know? As you as you've already pointed, out. and his killing his wife and son just yes. blew everything out into the open. Yeah, like he couldn't hide behind that anymore, and so. I wonder again, did she catch him in all of the financial crime or did she catch him not having any more money? So that would like bring shame upon him, right? She like, was where's on the money? Poshmark I don't have any money. Selling I got like a, $20, you know. $22 shoes. Right. And then he, he did this whole suicide 
pack thing for $10 million insurance right. money for his son, Buster, because Buster right now is the only person that's free right. in this in this family. And he was like, I got to get my son $10 million. But then here, there, he's facing a multiple yeah. civil suits against for yeah. people that he stole money from. It's just, a, I mean, just a hot mess. And he actually was charged with Maggie's and Paul's deaths on July 12th, 2022. And he was also disbarred from practicing law in South Carolina on that day. And he pleaded not guilty to the murder charges on July 20th, 2022. And his trial, like we're talking about, started on January 23rd, 2023. He is facing more than 100 criminal charges over the suicide Mm -hmm. slash hitman plot that he concocted and white-collar fraud schemes where he stole $8 million from clients. And he's also doing the civil suits. Um, And then, of course, murder charges. Now, I didn't find any um, uh, court documents that they said that they were trying to bring charges against him for Gloria Satterfield's death, or there's been no mention of... um, What was his name? Uh, oh yeah, the, the the cover of the vote. So I don't know if that's still coming, or if they were trying to see if there was any more things that they had gotten away with. You know, kind of like cast the right. net wide and see what was going to come up. Because I mean, obviously you, you have got Stephen Smith, and you got Gloria yeah. Satterfield, and then you know, obviously his son was responsible for Mallory. Then you have his wife and his son. Do you think he killed his wife uh, and son? Uh, yes. I don't believe it was even a hitman. I don't think it was a hit. You know, I kept running through my mind. Is it possible this was payback somehow? I don't think it was because it was a very exclusive area, lots of land. And sure, maybe everyone knew where they lived, but that takes a lot of planning and is difficult. I do believe he committed this crime. I'm leaning towards believing the two shooter. Not, I think he has a bunch of connections to get rid of the guns, right? Because they can't find the guns. Uh, right. But right. I don't buy the if he if he is a single killer and acted alone. I completely buy that he would use two different guns. Like I don't think that's really weird. Which is what the defense and everyone's like. Well, how could he use two di- easily? You use a shotgun, that's done. You shoot twice, and you have no more ammo. Well, he also likes stories. So for me, it would actually make sense for him to use two different guns because then there's the story of like, well, it was two different shooters or there there was like a group of people that were after us. Although... How would that work if he shot his I feel like wife? Because they don't. I, have you seen in any of your research? Did she go first, or I, did he? That kill I'm not Paul too first? sure of. But my guess is because the son is so close range and quick, and no signs of trying to escape. Whereas his wife appears to have been running. Like she has more. She has more gunshots, like on her wrist. I think on her leg. And then eventually she gets the fatal shot through her back and her heart, basically. So I think she was trying to, I think maybe she was trying to run away. Now, if there are two killers involved, uh, which they suspect also, I think that other person was Buster. And I think. Right, because we haven't even talked to Buster, right? So we haven't talked about Buster. He's got this kind of stone cold look. I feel. 
Alex is sitting there rocking back and forth. Every day he's rocking back and forth out of nervousness. And I think he's he's got to do mm-hmm. it. He has to take the cover for his son. He asks his son to help. We'll get all this money. Your mom and Paul Paul's destroying us. Your mom knows too much. Yeah. Right, because of his right. So because I was because I'm still stuck on why right. kill Paul. Now I guess because the way the prosecution is thinking of is the fact that he, like you said, they couldn't afford the the yeah. the trial, right? So whatever money issues they were having, whatever yeah. happened to all that money that he stole, they did not have money to properly defend. I think, yeah, Paul, and so I. So I guess in the way it's like, okay, well, if we kill Paul, but this is your son, like, unless, of course, he, as you said, always had issues and was a violent kid. Maybe he was the one. And again, this is just theories. We don't know anything. If he was the one that actually killed Gloria. And so he's like, oh, my God, this kid is just a mess. He's bringing the family down. I got to shoot him. But why the wife? Like, why would he kill Maggie? Because she she didn't like Paul either. From, you know, not like him, but she preferred Buster. So why Maggie? Well, with regards to Paul, I think he was just an easy target. We're going to try our best to get you out of this case. The trial's coming up, but you're tarnishing our goddamn name. Like, we just can't have that. You're costing us too much. Right. You're costing us too much money. It's a tarnish on our family name. Everyone knows that you're like crazy and really mean. And the honor. And uh, yeah, and you put... You're, 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 yeah, you're an alcoholic. You're taking everything out on other people. I mean, meanwhile, here's a really wealthy family that could have just sent him to therapy, but they didn't, you know, that would have helped. But I think, uh, right. I think he, I mean, I don't think there was any way that his father's connections were going to be able to get him out of that one. I mean, I think they were really trying. And then, uh, Margaret, I think, just has to go because she knows way too much. You're ca- it's it's killing me trying to make help you keep up appearances. I just can't afford to to take you mm-hmm. to Aruba right now. You know, maybe she wanted to leave him, and that was like if she had found like, out I'm about the fraud. And so now right. they're about to lose status, right? So there's no status involved if you have right. if if you're going down for fraud. So then maybe she's like, I'm out. Yeah. And he's like, you can't leave me. Like, no, you know, like could that maybe that could be the impetus. Like what yeah. was the catalyst for him being like, I'm going to take out the both of you. If she was like, I'm out, I'm looking for a divorce. You have all this fraud coming. You're on your own. I don't yeah. want my name connected to this. You're probably cheating on me. Um, I don't know if you're cheating on me. So then he could have been like, yeah, kind of like those family annihilators where you're like, if yeah. I can't have you, nobody and also, is. And you also, can't like, like you if know, you're going down, you're, I don't you're want to go down, down with you. Like, I, this isn't going to, you're not going to do this to me, right. you know, I've supported you for however long. Right. And I just, you know, I feel like she really didn't know a lot. You know, she, well, she here's- more than collateral damage. I feel like, um, he just, she just really set him off. I feel it was, this is definitely a crime of passion and a way of covering up everything. It shifts your attention from the fraud. Well, 
Well, and supposedly I read on one of the things she was right. shot in the back of the head, yeah. like execution right. style when she was lying down. So, I mean, so that's just so listen, all those stories you hear, oh, and, you, and what was it like when you guys were going up? Oh, Paul and Buster, oh, and the friends, we'd always go fishing and hunting. We were always hunting. We would go shooting for this. So it's completely possible yeah. for them. And then I think that's the other thing. You get close range because if they were to do it, they're they're used to hunting they would do it from far away right i i think they try to throw things off it doesn't work it's near the kennels once again here we have another case where i wish dogs could talk you know dogs see everything there's murphy there's this kennel of the puppies but uh Oh my goodness! I know, Snapchat and that video Snapchat just, video of that cute Labrador. It, oh my God! Yeah, exactly. Him, him if being dogs too clean could talk, just doesn't make sense. He's got that perfectly white shirt. They said he was sweaty, but then to ask, like, are you are, are they okay? I, I I don't understand that. You know. Well, especially because Paul's not to get gruesome, but that shotgun blast to his yeah. neck like took off his it's, head. Yeah. Like so, there's no way that you're seeing that and being like, "Are they going to be okay?" So I don't know if that's him trying to be in shock because again, he enjoys the stories. And it's there's to protect the name. Yeah, it's to protect I mean, the name. If, if my own family, it doesn't matter if my right. own family is uh, about to squeal. They got to go. I can't. We're in the courthouse right now where my great-grandfather's portrait is hanging. You know what I mean? Oh, my God. They had to take that that great-grandfather's portrait down. (laughs) Like That that was one of the things. Yeah. They made the court, whoever owns the court, take take his great-grandfather's portrait down from the courthouse because it was in the courthouse where he was going to be on trial. uh, What do you make of this jury selection? From what I understand, they all know one another. They're allowed to go home after a day, and they're told not to discuss it, but they're with their family over dinner. They know Alex. They know the story. Well, I'm wondering if that's a way that he's going to get away with this because of... The history and what these people saw the yeah. Murdoch dynasty be. Like, I just, I don't know how you can get a completely fair trial if it's people who have always seen you as right. the people that rule the town. Yeah. Right? So, wouldn't they be maybe afraid to put him in jail? I don't know. That's a, uh, again, it's justice sometimes works and justice sometimes is really wonky. And in this way, like with the jury selection, I don't know why they didn't take it out of the lowlands, take it to Charleston or further out. Granted, this case is so big right now that I don't know if they Agreed. could find anybody that didn't I mean, know about you know, this case. It's funny. Because as you said, it's like the, the most South Carolina's most yes. notorious court yes. case right and, now. And, you know, the, in South Carolina, it's their trial of the century, which is so interesting. Uh, yeah. 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 So we are going to keep you apprised of yes. what's going on in the trial as our uh, we'll have updates on it, because I'm sure there's going to be there more things coming more out. More revelations. I and think what there was a bit of a back and forth between the defense and prosecution just the other day, because the defense was like, hey, how important? Why do you keep? bringing up, I think a lot of this financial information is admissible. Like we're, we're here for murder, but then the uh, prosecution was great. Cause they're like, you know what? 
you need to learn about his financial fraud and everything else so you could see his frame of mind of why he would commit these murders. And that's 100 percent. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah. And if you're coming from a dynasty and you're about to take that dynasty yeah. down in name, especially when it's like a judge prosecutor yeah. dynasty, like a law dynasty, then, yeah, I would think that you would do whatever it took to essentially protect the name. But again, the case has just gotten so nuts, like getting a hitman to kill you on the side yeah. of the road. Like, really? That's really wild. Um, and then and then uh, I mean, and then it's like, I'm sorry I lied just, about that. You know, everything is just kind of. And why, why did, did he confess? confess? Why did he confess to that? Why would you confess to that? I mean, granted, he's in rehab, so he's doing right. like, you know, rehab work. But then is the rehab, like you said before, did he actually have an oxycodone addiction for 20 years? And if he did, why did nobody no not notice? Because when you get a hardcore oxycodone ad uh, addiction, you get kind of like sometimes in the junkie state, if you can't yeah. get your pills on time, like you have physical manifestations of need and nobody ever talked about that. But then again, is he right. protected because he's a murder? And uh, I would really like them to focus more on the opioid thing, because I think that's a total... Uh, like, oh. To prove it, yeah. to prove whether that's because true or not. I feel right? that does play a big role. 20 yeah. years of opioid addiction is because, at least for the defense, they could say, look, this is why he wasn't of sound mind and it couldn't have been him. Mm -hmm. You know, it could ha actually help the defense and it can help the prosecution right. to be like, he's lying about this. This is a sympathy trip. Yeah, and he's just exactly. doing the victim card again. It's all again. a distraction. Right? I just can't believe the distractions I'm, I'm, I'm in this thing. And it's really one of the few cases I can recall where there, there's where someone would go through this process to take everyone's eyes off the the bad the evil that you're doing. Everything everything seems yeah. to be very direct. Yeah. And what's I guess what's so crazy about this is it's a real big ball of yarn. Where it's it's the murder, it's these other murders, it's the fraud, it's the money. But as I told you the other day, right? If they can't get him on these murders, he's still going to jail. He's still yeah. going down on the fraud. There's no way. I mean, there's paper evidence of what he did with the fraud. I think whatever happens, yeah. he's going to be in jail. Um, but I do hope that they do have more evidence to prove his guilt for Maggie and Paul because nobody deserves yeah. to be killed like that. I think, um, uh, and I'm, tr I'm trying to skim through my notes, but it is, it is interesting to note that not long after his, uh, intent and suicide, Buster was out of the country. Uh, so when the whole oh, that's thing interesting. was like, so do you think he sent him out I'm of the thinking. country? And that's when the whole thing, I want my son to get the $10 million. I think that's where, when that went down, Buster was not here. He's at the trials now, but he, for the most That's part, interesting. But yeah, but before that, he was like, so maybe that was the whole plan. I'll take you get fall. out of town, especially if he was in on it. I'll take the fall for right. it and you get the money and you can keep on yeah. the family name at least. Because right. who's going to keep on the family name now? Right? Is this dynasty gone after or, 110 or years? Or will Buster like, be able boom, to weasel like his in somehow? Right? Because he went to law right. school. 
or does he get off because he's too powerful? I mean, I, I'd be very curious to see what, like, if That's... he will actually be found guilty because of the of of the way justice works in certain yeah. parts of this country and the fact that he knows all these people. Like, I would assume he knows the prosecutors, he knows yes. the defense guys. I mean, his defense attorney, like I said before, was a state <laughs> senator. Like, seriously? Yeah. I mean, this guy's connected. So I am curious to see if justice will actually yeah. be served. And, you know, it's interesting. They're not mentioning, mm -hmm. at least from anything that I've seen, there's never been a mention of another shooter. Oh, so. Like in all of the articles, they've never had like the police, not not what the family was putting out, but the police immediately looked at him. There was never any like, oh, uh, there, it could be these guys, or we looked into Mallory so Beach's that, family. That, None of those articles that I read ever talked about that. Just trying to uh, have that be a focal point. About Mallory Beach's family? Oh, yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. I mean, I think that's him and the defense being like, yeah, this terrible thing happened and they're right. after my family. But I'm talking about just the cops immediately saw the differences yes. in his story. And yeah. we're like, we got to look uh, at this guy. Yeah. Oh, and what was we the other interesting thing about that? A lot of his body cam footage and interview, it, it, his emotions are mm -hmm. kind of all over the place. Oh, and the other thing was, it was like, uh, that's what it was. During the 911 call, he sets up the idea that there were two shooters or that people were after him. On the call, he says, they're not breathing, not the thing. I think we're in trouble. I think someone did this to them. I think someone did this So like, in the beginning, yeah. that he's, he yeah. wants to control That's this narrative, you know? Yeah, exactly. And yeah, and right. he can't because his story keeps changing. <laughs> like, he just, he doesn't, he's not he's that smart. Really not he that thinks smart. he's smart, but he's not that smart. It's just... Dust, it's just desperate, desperate. So that is the case of Alex Murdoch. Totally nuts. If you check on Court TV, it's yeah. going on right now. It tried. Definitely some sound issues on this episode, but I will do my best to try to iron them out. Also, I wanted to add that we have set up a Patreon. It's, I believe, the Deviant Mind podcast at Patreon. So thank you again for joining us. And I hope you guys have had some um, illumination as to Alex Murdoch and his case because I saw the case on TV and I had read about it but I didn't realize how convoluted it was until I started researching and then I was like yeah. oh my god and then I found out incidentally <laughs> that uh, it's a lot. his natural birth parents are the Pillsbury Doughboy and an orange <laughs> sorry oh my to. goodness uh, yeah there you go. Exactly. You had to. All right. So thanks, everybody, for joining us again on The Defiant Mind. And next week, there's been some cases that we found that should be really interesting. So uh, stay tuned and uh, we'll see you till next time.